morning show, Sportsnet 59, the fan, Ben Ennis, Brent Gunning, Austin Matthews continuing his assault in the rest, uh, record books tonight in California. His, his birth state. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's not born in Arizona. No, San Ramon. Yeah. California kid, really. Um, on pace for just shy of 70 goals now. But 69 no, we're optimists. Like, Round up. Well, I was good. So this is the question I'm going to pose to you. I'm going to pose it to Frank Saravelli mm. in mere moments as well. Can't wait. Um, on tenterhooks. Uh, 69 and a half. I set the total at. Under. Are yeah. you going to take the under yeah, still? Yeah, come on. <laughs> I'm like, I'm an optimist, but I'm not stupid. Why? Because, like, I, I would say now that they require, like, his his goal scoring is always required. Mm-hmm. And they have the record they <laughs> have true. considering yes. this guy's on pace for 70 goals. Mm-hmm. But understanding the situation in goal and the buffer that he would like to provide yes. for this team. And it's not like you change your motivation. But, right. like, yeah, he needs to score. Yeah, he does. <laughs> okay? I, I don't know. I, I, I know he's had so many multi-goal games, yeah. right? Yeah. But I, I will say, like, shooting percentage, nothing seems unsustainable here. Mm-hmm. And the era of scoring in the NHL is such that I, I don't discount the possibility of him keeping this thing up. Like, I think 60s are like a slam dunk guarantee at this point. 60, I... He's if, done that. If like, you set the over-under at 59 and a half, bang in the okay, over. Okay, fine. How about 65 and a half? It's tough. I'm so, kind of Connor McDavid had 64 last yeah. year, right? I, I, so, 64 and a half. That's fair, right? Yeah, I still think... Oh, you're such a coward. I am a coward. Yeah, I don't... I have watched this team my entire life. I saw it... But you've never seen anybody like this guy when it comes to putting the puck in the back of the net. You don't With this organization. No, no, no. Stop it. You don't need to qualify it. I've never seen anybody like this guy with this organization, okay? Like, we all love Matt. We watched Sweden Trip, Killer, Doug Gilmore, Wendell Clark. I actually... This is a window into my soul that no one needs, but... Uh, to get my mind right, heading back into work, I did watch the jersey retirement ceremony for Matt Sundin. To get, yeah, I did because I wanted to be remembered of what past greatness feels like. And guess what? This guy is better than Matt Sundin. But the idea of a 64 goal season until Matthews did it again—it's like Roger Bannister, like breaking the four minute mile. Yeah, but we didn't he did even, it. We didn't even know that was possible. And the idea that he's going to do it again so quickly—I'm not saying it's impossible, but it's just over under. You're asking me to take one of the two chances. I think I'm going to take the under there. I'd love to be proven wrong. I just refuse to believe in my life. I've watched this hockey team that I'm going to get to see not only a 60 goal season in my lifetime, but a 70 goal season. Although the more I talk myself into it, that would be a, a quite the cruel least twist of I get to see a 60 goal and 70 goal season, but I don't get to see what I actually want uh, sometime in that time span. Okay. So 21, 22, the year that Austin Matthews scored 60, mm. right? You know, the save percentage league wide was, I don't in 21, 22 league wide save percentage was nine Oh seven. Okay. Do you know what it is this year? I'm betting lower. It's nine Oh three this year. That's right. Significantly. Okay. So, yeah, you're right. He he cracked the 60-goal barrier. It was like, unbelievable. Like, obviously, this guy's got to win the Hart Trophy. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not just, hey, the ro- the winner of the Rocket doesn't automatically win the Hart Trophy. But when you score a number like 60, yeah. you got to win mm-hmm. the Hart Trophy. And then he did it. Now everybody scores 60. Again, you know, Connor McDavid's 64. It's Even 60s that bum, like, David Pasternak did it. Yeah, right. I'm joking. Relax. But it's Becoming easier to score goals year over year over year. And why exactly that is, is a a lot of people have their own little theories, their own little believies. Um, I'm of the belief that, yeah, that there's just 
a lot of teams. <laughs> There's more teams than ever. And goaltending's really hard, and we don't have enough goaltenders, and especially in this country. God, I know it being involved in, like, the, the, the minor hockey community a little wow. bit. all the children in Burlington catching strays, at no, least the goalies. No, no, I would just oh, say okay. that, like, the push for this okay. country to create goalies <laughs> okay. is, we don't have enough. No, we don't. We really don't. And, God, thank God my kid doesn't want to be one. Oh, I know. But, yeah, goaltending is getting worse, and goal scoring is going up. I think, like, over the next five years, we're going to have a 70-goal score. Who better than this guy? What better season than right now where the league-wide save percentage is as low as God? When do we have to go back? You have to go back to 2005, 2006. I believe that's when Ovi had his 60-goal uh, season. <laughs> league-wide save percentage was 901. That's, that's the last time it was as low as it is right now at 903. So if we're going to do hot percentage talk, I'll add my own I'll add my own little piece of it here. The shooting percentage, right? That's what I think a lot of people look at. The 60 so before the 60 goal year, he had 41 in 52 games. That was 18 and a half. The mm-hmm. 60 goal season, 17.2. Right now he's at 20.3. So I do expect a bit of a dip there, mm-hmm. but if it is in, and just to be clear, he has had other seasons in the 18%. That was when he had 34 goals in 62 games, his second year in the league. So he has been able to hit that 17, 18% mark a couple of times. So that's not out of the realm of possibility. You did slightly sway me based on the save percentage numbers there, though. I'm, yeah. I'm starting to warm a little. I still don't think it's going to happen, but I'd love to be wrong. Well, and also, like, if you're looking at your shooting percentage and, and you're talking about regression, like, we talk about regression to the mean usually is happening in one season, mm-hmm. but he shot last season 12.2%. Yep. So we just combine the two years, and it's a, 18, a pretty average yeah. average Austin Matthews shooting. Should he go from 40 goals to 70 and then, you know, average whatever, 55 a season? Yeah, yeah, that actually makes a ton of sense. Well, the other the other thing, too, if you just want to, again, like, just some quick math here, the 20 that he's at now is the same level of outlier that the 12 was mm-hmm. last year for his career because yes. he's 16% for his career. Like it is, you're, I, I, you're starting to sway me. I still I made a mathematical case for it. Yeah. I mean, that's the last thing that normally would sway me. I just want my heart and feels. And that's the problem is well, that I also just re- that. Also that, like also eye test. It looks yeah. like he's capable of seven. It, it certainly looks like it. I just, I refuse to believe I'll see two things that great in, in such a brief period of my lifetime. Speaking of great time oh, now for our, our insider brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. Today's insider, the great Frank Cervelli, president of hockey content for dailyfaceoff.com. How's it going, Frank? Pretty good guys. How are your, how was your holiday? Uh, pretty good. My kid's got a PS5, and and my oh. five-year-old's eyeballs are, like, irreparably damaged because his <laughs> eyes were so wide open, and his voice also irreparably, uh, irreparably damaged because he was as, exci- as excited as you would hope him to be if you were going to invest in a PS5. How was yours? Be, be careful. Be careful down there. Wherever you put it, um, we put ours in the basement. Yeah, that's and, where ours uh, is. I had one of the like I, I redid my basement, finished it, put a you know beautiful seventy-five inch TV huh? on the wall, uh, got the PS5 hooked up, and one day I came home. I was away for uh, a trip for work. I come home. My wife's like, "Hey, you should check out the basement." And I go down, and uh, the entire TV was smashed, and oh. the 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 controller quote slipped uh, yeah. out of my son's hand in anger. <laughs> the the golf club r- often slips out of my hand too. Yeah, yeah. Rage quitting an NHL twenty three game. 
I thought you were gonna tell me like the drywall had a hole in it. The TV is a different deal. How did you how did you deal with that? Because that yeah that 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 Dude. would be a tough one. Yeah, I'm worried this is in my future. Walk. Yeah, please tell me how to get through this because my guy loves playing mini sticks way too close to a television as well. So yeah, Ooh. please tell me how you get through this, Frank. Yeah, be careful. I'm just just saying you should begin to mentally prepare yourself. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, I, I'm not looking forward to that. Um, all right, so I'm going to ask you the same question I asked Brent. I, I guess 69 and a half is too high to set it because all you guys are going to take the coward's approach. And, oh, obviously, Austin Matthews not going to score 70 this season. Um, okay, so let's set it at Connor McDavid 64 last year. 64 and a half goals over under for Austin Matthews this season. Taking the over. Attaboy. I, I think, it, it, for me, it really only comes down to health. Like, I think he shatters 64. He's got to play all of his games though. You can't have a five games, you know, stint where he's, he's out of the lineup. Mm-hmm. That's going to kill him. Yeah. But I, I would, if I were setting the over under right now, I'd set it a bit higher at 67. So what do you think? Oh, I mean, obviously it's some element of all of these things, but is this more Matthews being a transcending goal scorer? Is this more goaltending slipping across the NHL? Is it kind of, you know, six of one half dozen of the other? How do you look at it? Like, you know, we look at it. He had 60 last year. We had, or two years, three years ago. We hadn't seen that in forever. Then you see Pasternak and McDavid both get over there. You know, I've been referencing the joke of it's like when we had our first four minute mile and all of a sudden everyone's going, Oh, I guess we can do that. What do you think has led to the kind of spike jump in, in goal scoring, especially from individual players with such high numbers over the last couple of years? I, I think there's been a huge change in goaltending. That to me is the biggest storyline of this season. And the biggest thing I'm looking forward to is the calendar turns to 2024, because I think there's going to be a massive correction in how goalies are paid, how we think about goalies, how teams analyze them. I think the one of the biggest weaknesses and flaws in in the analytics world that we've seen to this point is properly isolating um, goalie impact relative to team. I think we haven't come up with a, a real strong metric to to figure that part out yet. And I think the other part is you're seeing a real push and pull between the change of style like Joe wall is sort of the perfect modern goalie now Mm -hmm. in, in the way that he plays and his style. And there's no secret to me that the guys that are having the most success right now are guys that have adapted that new modern style. Like look at Joey Decord and the success that he's having in Seattle. The last couple of weeks gets the first shutout in, in winter classic history Joel Hofer in St. Louis, uh, he plays the more modern style. He's sort of picking up the ball and running with it when Jordan Bennington can't. It, it's it's been that part of it, and then now you're going to see the the money part come in, which is we talk about it all the time how goaltending is voodoo. Mm-hmm. The some of the smart teams are really getting to that fact right now and saying, you know what, maybe we can go with Joe Wall and whoever it might be, Martin Jones or the Hilda Beast or whoever, like get someone else in there that doesn't make a lot of money, move Samsonov out, and let's use that cap space because whatever we'd get is going to be pretty similar either way. Yeah, they were, they've been proven correct uh, very much on, on pushing Samsonov uh, in arbitration and, and not giving him the long-term deal that he's so required and felt he earned with his season, not just during the regular season, but the postseason last year. Like, obviously, yeah, 
needed to but show wouldn't more. you have felt that way if you were him too? If I were him, yeah, absolutely. But yeah, and it sucks. Like on a personal level, he must have felt like, holy cow, like I, I was non-tendered by the team that selected me in the first round and I'm floating out in, in space and and I, I take lesser to, to go to this franchise that I thought I, I'd have a good chance to be the starter and I was the starter and I exceeded in this place. It's so impossible to succeed in that position. I gave them their first postseason series victory and I got to do it all over again and I've... Fallen's, like it sucks, but that's that's the business. Uh, that being said, do the do the Leafs need to go out into the into the market and 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 get another goalie? I, I think they do. I think that part is unquestioned. Like they need to get someone that can that has some experience that they can put behind Joe Wall if he falters when he comes back, and that can give them some modicum of of a baseline of goaltending. That's really all all you're asking for. When you have a team as talented as the Leafs are up front, I mean, look at the way that they've been able to like part of the reason why, you know, go back the last couple years, like go back to Jack Campbell's last year as a Leaf. Remember how bad he was in like mm-hmm. early January, that stretch of time where his numbers were awful, yet his record was actually pretty good. And and look at Sam Sonoff. Look at how many games he's been able to pile up points in. Like they've got OT losses in games in which he's given up. Six, six, four, and four. Yeah. I mean, that they've been able to do it in spite of their goaltending. So what you're looking for is you're like, just get me close to league average. Get me like 899, 900, 902. Like the Leafs, it'd be nice to get a, a 929 or 945 run out of someone like the way that Decord, as I just mentioned, has played in Seattle. But just give me average. We'll pay you less than average and we'll just give me average and that's all we want. Yeah, that's it. They don't need a guy to come in here and stand on their head. Like we've been, we've been joking about it, but it's true. Like they just need the guy to do the grant Fuhr thing. It's like, don't let in the sixth, don't let in the fifth. That has been what they've, what they've kind of needed. You know, I was going back. Is that and, so much to ask? Uh, apparently, honestly. And I was about to say 2023, but we're all the way into 2024 now. And it's, it's definitely uh, too much to ask. You mentioned Campbell there. Obviously the Leafs have done this before different front office, although not completely Shanahan still involved where they went out and made their Campbell trade. You know, I went back and looked at it, and in the game before that, Hutch got lit up, and then Michael Hutchinson got lit up, and then Freddie Anderson gets hurt. Hutchinson comes in and allows three goals on 13 shots, and it felt like the hand was kind of forced because they made the Jack Campbell trade that night. Do you think there's anything that can happen on this kind of West Coast trip in the back-to-back games that the Leafs have here that can force Treliving not to be looking, not to want to make a move, but have to have to act immediately or do you think he's much like the other gms we've talked about in the league be it a carolina be it edmonton earlier on where they're constantly looking and it's just a matter of finding the right kind of dance partner no i mean i obviously he's constantly looking but i do think that there's probably you know you have a three-game run where you're getting 825 goaltending and you say okay it's it's great that wall's coming back but we we have to stop the bleeding somehow just for the sake of the rest of the team. And I mean, you saw Eric Comrie also pass through waivers at the same time. Mm -hmm. I think one of the big things they've been wrestling with is, and this is what the Oilers went through a a number of weeks ago when their, their season was basically hanging on the ropes. Who's out there. That's a difference maker. Like we don't mind making a trade and, and giving up a couple assets here or there, especially because of the, the nature of the position and you just look at the trade history there. 
they're really you can't ask for a whole lot when you're trading a goalie. You just can't, um, especially if a guy doesn't have a lot of term. Um, it, it's or or does in that case. Um, the the goaltending market has never really been that strong. So when you're looking at who you can trade for, the question is: Is this someone that we can rely on? Is this someone that we can, you know, put our head on the pillow at night and and sleep comfortably knowing that? we're going to get some baseline of success. And I think to this point, the goalies that have been floating out there in the ether that have been available for a while, no one really gives you the warm and fuzzies. And you're like, well, we might as well just stick with what we have, or at least give someone else a new run to try and see if they can find their game somewhere. And it wouldn't surprise me at any point if Samsonov at some point in the next three weeks, they say, Hey, we gave you some time with the Marlies, some time to really work on your game. Let's come back and try this out. Mm. I, I'd I'd be less surprised if Dennis Hildeby was just good. Like he's been good in the American League this year. He's 22 years old. He's six foot seven. He's a large human being. I guess the the risk. I mean, you think about goalie prospects taking longer to develop, but I don't know. I get. Do you think that this is a risky proposition? And who knows if he even plays at all? Right? Like it, it's possible they just run Martin Jones on back-to-back days, like, as if, like, that's some far-flung idea. Like, it, you're allowed to do it, and they might with Martin Jones, but... Why well, not? Give him give him a game. I, I would. But, like, do, do you believe in the... You're not going to break him. He's okay. not a piece of China. That Well, that's what I... Okay. I, that's what I'm curious about, right? Because this is a 22-year-old guy who I'm sure the Leafs would, would hope is a big part of their goaltending future going forward. Is there a risk in breaking a prospect by giving him too much too soon? I don't think so. I think, I mean, look at, look at Caden Primo in Montreal. You don't have to go very far. Look at how bad his numbers were before Marty St. Louis had to just kind of mercy pull him and say, you know what? We can't continue to put you out there. He's bounced back. His numbers have looked really good. I mean, I, I look, I think he's the perfect example on a, on a way worse team. He's going to have way more support. Hill to be will in front of him um, to try and figure this out. And and Primo's two years older, so he would have been, um, you know, the, his his NHL career started four years ago at the age of twenty, and his numbers weren't great. But I, I look at the way that he's played this year. I look at the way that teams think of him, um, and the mental capacity that he's had to sort of park that. I, I'd be I'd be trying to turn over every rock that I could within my own organization before having to look elsewhere. Well, yeah. And, oh, sorry. Go ahead, Frank. No, I think that's the best spot you can be in. Is maybe he can. You're only looking for a two to three week run. Well, that's what I was going to say. It's the it's the stakes of this all. Like no one sitting here thinking. Uh, and by the way, a great nickname in the Hildebeest is going to come in here and save the day. But stranger things have happened, and just following the progression of Wall. I mean, this is kind of how it happens. You see guys build. They have a nice little run, and you'd like maybe a longer track record the American League, but throw them out there and and see what happens. You know, obviously there is a lot of talk in terms of trading for a goaltender, both in Toronto and elsewhere league wide, but. The conversation we've been having all year long regarding this Leafs team before the season even started was, well, what are they going to do about that blue line? How much do you mm. think the questions they have surrounding their goaltending and the possibility that they might have to use the somewhat limited assets they have, how much do you think that is complicating the search for a for a defenseman? I mean, it felt like the Chris Tanev stuff was really simmering, and I don't know if that's kind of on the back burner now, if Calgary's seeing where they're at, but how much does the Leafs' potential need to trade for for a goalie play into the 
possible trade for a defenseman that I think we all think is coming to a certain extent. Yeah, and I think that's why I think it's all related, and I think that's why you, if you're Brad Tree Living, you don't go out and spend those assets in November as soon as you get the green light on Klingberg. You never know what can come around the corner. And and part of it is I think they were pretty aggressive in trying to make something happen. It just didn't materialize specifically with, with Tanev and Zadarov in a package deal. Um, with that being the case, they're way better off now having not, I think, pulled that trigger. Mm. I don't know exactly what pieces were in play in terms of making that happen, but now look at the situation. Your biggest need might be the goaltending mm -hmm. because you know you might be able to skate by with you know the defense core that you have i i personally don't think the leafs defense core as currently constructed this isn't breaking news i i don't think they're stanley cup contender worthy but i can tell you that they're going to have zero chance to get there if they try and go through it with this goaltending the way that it is at this exact moment in time mm -hmm. so if we get to a spot where this doesn't sort of work itself out, then they may have to use part of those assets and frankly, part of the cap space. They may have to be more aggressive in, in moving Samsonov's deal off the books, which could solve a multitude of problems to then have more cap space overall to get a defenseman. Like it's all now interconnected to the point where I think the best case scenario is to sit and wait and see how you feel about the goaltending before pulling the trigger on a defenseman. Plus, if you're Bradford Living, you got to think about the William Nylander extension, which apparently is being worked on. Like, we hear little dribs and drabs, mm -hmm. like, oh, yeah, this is, you're grinding it out. As, you, as your perception of the percentage chance of that being resolved this season changed over the last couple of like, like, where are you on the William Nylander uh, negotiation? No, I think it, it hasn't really changed much in the sense that to know Brad True Living and the way that he thinks about this and the way that he sort of goes about his job, he kind of like, he's relentless. He kind of pecks at you and, and tries to, uh, and, and has a long history of course, with William Nylander's agent going back to the time that, uh, they dealt with Johnny Gaudreau. Like they, they have a pretty good understanding of how each other works. And so I'm sure that he's, you know, every day kind of pecking away at this, trying to make some headway, trying to get them to get to the table, to make something happen that it'd be real nice to get that done. But, um, I think in the meantime, I think the Nylander camp's kind of just comfortable. Like they're not, they're not losing any ground by just seeing things play out. Nope. Uh, I think you could just leave it at William Nylander comfortable. Yeah. I was going to say, I'm just picturing him in that like tank top he wore on the Swedish talk show. He's like, yeah, I'm just chilling. How guys, often do you picture him in that tank top? More often than you'd like to admit, yeah. and definitely more often often he, than I'd picture either of you in it. That's for sure. I, I, I oh well, that's for certain. But I was in Sweden. I know he wanted to do that one shirtless. So <laughs> you, you, you got the you got the sanitized version. They bartered him into the tank top. That's good for them. Uh, Frank, uh, happy New Year! Thanks, buddy. Happy New Year, guys. Have a good week. You too. Frank Sarvelli, president of hockey content for dailyfaceoff.com. He was our insider brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit donvalleynorthlexus.com. It's a great point by Frank. Always. I don't even know which one you're referencing, but agreed. You know what Ilya Samsonov's record is this season? I, I, I would like to know. It's 5-2-6. and six. Amazing. <laughs> Yes, it is. Like, one of the worst save percentages in Leaf history. And he's got, like, I mean, depending on how you view overtime losses, yeah, sure. right? Like, he's got, you can make the argument he's been a, above 500 this year. Incredible.
like certainly a high points percentage. Five, two, and six. I mean, that's evidence. That's all the evidence really you need that the Leafs are actually good yes. and being outdone by goaltending. Yes. That Ilya Samsonov does not have like a horrible record no. this season. Yeah. He started his year. Like, remember game yes. one against the Montreal Canadiens? <laughs> yes. He won his first two starts of the season. Thanks to Austin Matthews. Being horrible. Yes. Like, he lost his starting job after the first two games. They were both wins. Uh, mm hmm. <laughs> That's where this team is at. Also, on the cap front uh, perspective, because we always have to keep it in mind. Thanks so much, Gary. Mm -hmm. uh, so, obviously, Samsonov, they can bury one and a half million with him being down in the minors. That's not nothing. Like, I think mm -hmm. there's something at play there. Uh, I'm. This is a bad way to put it, but I think some people were probably a little, uh, they were, they were, they were, Less than pleased to see Ryan Reeves back on the ice uh, with the Leafs at practice. Obviously, the Leafs want the player healthy, and we all want good health for the player. But I think there were some people that saw him mysteriously fall on, at the tunnel when he left that game thinking, hmm, if that 1-3 is available at the deadline, that wouldn't be the end of the world. Don't hold your breath on that because uh, Revo back at practice. Obviously, you always want people to be healthy, but if we're talking trade, you got to talk cap because that's the NHL in 2024. Mm -hmm. Uh, we we're talking about the NFL. We we're talking about one more regular season week to go. I was and say we never talk about the cap. It's all made up. No, it's a woozy. It's a wazzy. Uh, yeah. What's more voodoo? NFL cap. The or Rams were never going to be able to put together a good team ever again. And here they Lies. are. <laughs> Today on Liars Who Lie. Yeah. Anybody who said that. Uh, I mean, and God, we've gone through a multitude of different teams as the best team in the NFL. Pretty hard to deny the Baltimore Ravens at this point. Uh, we'll talk to, to Peter King, Football Morning in America, next. The Fan Morning Show continues. Ben Ennis, Brent Gunning, Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Diving deep into Leafs, Raptors, Jays, and NFL. The J.D. Bunkins Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Fan Morning Show, Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Ben Ennis, Brent Gunning. January, like man, December. You God. okay? You it, winced when you said that. Well, because like December, just it felt like it 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 flew by. It really did. Yeah, and it, I and agree. It's, it's January now. Yeah, and there's one week of the NFL's regular season remaining, mm -hmm. which is wild, wacky stuff. Um, fifty some odd days till I go on vacation again. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, so there's been. Weeks where we thought, hey, the Eagles were the best team in the NFL. Boy, that was silly. Who said that? <laughs> Who on this show said that? Not, not I. <laughs> Holy cow. And the Niners, they're, they're, yeah. they're going to be the number one yeah, seed yeah. in the NFC. Yeah. But they've looked vulnerable-ish mm -hmm. at times. I think it's, it's hard to deny the Baltimore Ravens. We've both done this it point. all year long going, but the Ravens, yeah, and there. Well, I mean, if Lamar Jackson had I more know. than one playoff victory, I, I might be. He's probably going to in a couple of weeks. We'll see. Uh, he will have the bye, though. It's the top seed in the AFC. Let's talk to Peter King of Football Morning in America. Uh, happy New Year, Peter. Thanks for doing this. Hey, happy New Year to you guys, too. How are you? Uh, doing very well. So um, th this maybe this is an obvious question, but, like, is this the best opportunity? Because it feels like Lamar Jackson is going to win uh, yet another MVP award and the top seed in the AFC. But is this the best shot for them in his tenure to win it all? Well, remember, they were the one seed, what was it, four years ago and went to Tennessee, or Tennessee came into Baltimore and beat them. Um, Jackson has a very checkered playoff record, in fact. He's one and three in the playoffs, hasn't played a playoff game in three years, but he's one and three in the playoffs. The Ravens have averaged only 13 points a game when he has played. So he's got a little proving to do in this postseason. Um 
I think four games is too small of a sample size to judge somebody on how good they are in big games. And Jackson, to me, has been uh, very, very steely and very tough and very uh, not concerned with anything. You know, he not that he disdains the MVP, but he cares about only one thing right now, and that's winning the Super Bowl. And I think what is really interesting about the Ravens, probably as much as any team in football right now, if you look at them, they have the kind of depth that can withstand an injury. You've seen what happened to Miami. They've lost now both pass rushers. I I have no idea how Miami's going to make a deep playoff run right now unless two is absolutely on fire. But the Ravens, they definitely could and should make a deep playoff run because that front office, that coaching staff, I mean, they have they have a deep roster. They've coached them well. Look at Isaiah Likely. When Mark Andrews went down, everybody thought, oh, my God, it's it's curtains for the passing game. But, you know, Isaiah Likely has come in in the five games he started. He's averaged more receiving yards per game than Mark Andrews did when he played this year. So the Ravens have done a good job stocking the roster in positions like 23 to 45. And that's really paying off for them now. So looking at the AFC, I mean, it's it's pretty simple to just point to Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs and say, well, they're going to be this team. But of the likely playoffs teams, who should give the Ravens the most pause just in terms of a, a, a matchup? You know, it's been such an odd year. I look at the two games they've played at the Browns or with the Browns this year. They can be more opposite. You know, and again, I, we, I think we all look at the Chiefs and say, well, Patrick Mahomes is probably going to be the most tough for anybody to deal with. But of the AFC, of, of the AFC playoff teams, who should give the Ravens? Ravens the most cause for concern the 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 unfortunate thing for the Ravens as I look at the playoff field right now is that if you ask me who are going to be the toughest games for the Ravens the toughest foes in the AFC who are the roadblocks on the way to the Super Bowl they could play each of them in the postseason they could play number five seed Cleveland in the divisional round in Baltimore, Joe Flacco making a return uh, to M&T Bank Stadium in Baltimore. And then a week later, if Buffalo wins at Miami on Sunday night, I think Buffalo is going to win that game. But if Buffalo wins in Miami Sunday night, then they could be uh, the team that goes in and plays the championship game uh, at Baltimore. Those are the two best teams in the AFC right now other than Baltimore and the Ravens may have to beat them both uh, to get to the Super Bowl in Vegas next month. It's pretty wild. The the Bills can be the two seed in the AFC, but they still have yet to clinch their playoff spot headed into uh, into week 18. Uh, and of course, that's going to be uh, the capper for uh, the final week of the the regular season, their game against the Dolphins. So yeah, Patrick Mahomes, he still exists and 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 they, you know, Harrison Butker kicking a bunch of field goals, leading them to a victory. But boy, do they have problems on offense. Um, let's maybe compare their offensive problems to the Eagles' defensive problems. Which one's more stark? Oh, the Eagles' defensive problems, without any question. The Eagles are, the Eagles are in huge, huge trouble. But let's talk about Kansas City for a second. <clears throat> you still see in Kansas City a team that is so vulnerable 
and so iffy. Uh, you said, I don't get any confidence in anything that Kansas City can do on offense right now. And I would be, uh, you know, and I wrote this almost as tongue-in-cheek in my column this week, but if you think about it, I mean, as, as crazy as this sounds, okay, if you think about it, that offense right now probably should be going through Isaiah Pacheco instead of Patrick Mahomes. <clears throat> because Isaiah Pacheco, as long as he's healthy, is a danger to hit a home run on any play. Um, you can't say the same thing for Mahomes right now. That is what would really, really worry me. And that's if I'm Andy Reid, I'd be thinking for the first time since I coached this team, I'd be thinking of my offense and my passing game, especially as a complementary piece to the puzzle, uh, because they're just not the same this year. Yeah, it's kind of remarkable to to see. And, you know, I think, I think again, we all look at Patrick Mahomes as a guy who can kind of paper over a lot. And I guess that is kind of the difference to, between between offense and defense, right? You know, I think of the great defensive players. I just close my eyes. I think of, like, your Troy Polamalu's, your Ed Reed, your, you know, your Ray Lewis. Yeah. It's like those guys could be incredible players. They couldn't paper over everything the way a quarterback has been. But to your point, Mahomes hasn't necessarily been the guy to to be able to to do that. I do want to look at the, at the NFC. Uh, I mean, I mean, things are getting tight there. We know who's going to be the one seed. Obviously, you have the crazy end to the to the Cowboys-Lions game. I guess I'll just start with you there. I mean, we, we have officiating, and this isn't a football thing, every year in every sport. There's big, big calls missed or there's questionable decisions made uh, in big spots. But w- what did you make of the end of that Lions-Cowboys game? And I, I guess also Dan Campbell's kind of comments coming out of it of, yeah, we're mad and we're going to use it as fuel, but we're not going to dwell on it. Look, I I think that overall, overall the overarching fault here lies with Brad Allen, the referee. <clears throat> and you know, if assuming that what the Lions have said is correct, that you know the extra tackle who reported uh, on the field late coming in who always, who I think 70-something times this year so far, has reported as eligible. Um, and and if, if, as he runs on the field, and two other players, you know, Panay Sewell and Taylor Decker, yeah. go and report, I, 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 I go to the referee, not necessarily, although Taylor Decker said he reported, Panay Sewell didn't, but... I, I I know this is going to be counter to all the people who want blood, uh, who want Brad Allen, you know, we want him fired tomorrow. And I understand that. And I want to stress, to me, this is the, the, the main fault here lies with Brad Allen. However, if you only ever send one player to report as eligible to a referee, and this time – you send three in a clear attempt at subterfuge mm-hmm. to confuse the Dallas Cowboys. And <clears throat> the clock is running. There's 93,000 people, uh, you know, being cacophonous in a stadium, getting ready for the play of the game. I, you know, there are ways that this thing can go off the track. And to me, when nobody 
you know, very noticeably anyway, makes that motion. For those who don't know, when you report as an eligible player, you're supposed to go to the referee and say, hey, number 70 reporting as an eligible player. And you're supposed to wave both hands on your jersey. You're supposed to rub the front of your jersey with both hands like, I am now eligible. Okay? And you didn't see that. You, you, you saw a slight motion with one hand about Taylor Decker. Yeah, but, but you didn't see the obvious motion being made. And so now you're relying on the referee who then went and said, number 70 reporting for eligible, and the Lions had no reaction at all. Now, maybe the Lions didn't hear. Maybe their bench didn't hear. I don't know. But the bottom line in this whole thing is, I think both sides bear some responsibility for this, uh, for this awful call that, that kind of helped ruin the Lions. And then you have to ask yourself, well, if you get penalized for it and you go back to the seven, should you still be going for two? No. Or should you then be kicking a, an extra point? Yes. And hoping now to go into overtime. So I, I don't know. I think it's, I think it is a, a fascinating play but I don't think it's so easy to say that's it. Get Brad Allen out of here, blah, blah, blah. I think he he clearly is the most responsible, but but not the only one. No, I do feel like the process is a little bit murky, right? I I, I would like the process clarified a little bit. Like, is there any conversation about that being something that's implemented for next year? Just making it more obvious um, and, and making the Look, process Mike, a little more Mike Florio, straightforward. Mike Florio of Pro Football Talk, my partner at NBC, reported that the NFL is not considering and won't consider changing the rules, which is insane. It's insane. Right. <laughs> and, you know, I, I, you know what? The, it's a very, very simple fix. The simplest fix. Okay? When you are reporting as eligible... There's only only the people who are reporting as eligible can go to the referee. You can't have disguised people or 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 cloudy people or or agents <laughs> of confusion. You can't have them report to the to the ref. You can only have one person and that one person has to make the clear motion on the front of his jersey, I am reporting as eligible. That's it. You know, this, the, you can't make this the NFL's version of the hidden ball trick. It's just it's not fair enough to, to, to the other team, particularly at moments like that. Yeah, that's actually a great way to put it with the hidden ball trick. It's like we should just give them a flare and they have to shoot it off or something uh, when, uh, when, when, yeah. when they do it. Because you're right. Like you don't want – there is gamesmanship in sports, and we all love part of it, right? But there's a difference between gamesmanship and something along those lines. And, you know, I suppose different people can have different lines it's for that. Just, you, know what it, you know what it strikes me as? Yeah. You know what it strikes – I was saying this to somebody yesterday. I mean, yesterday this was a topic of conversation the whole day. And I said this to somebody, one of the other people who cover the, covers the NFL writer. I said, you know, this is just not sportsmanlike. It just, it's, it, it is, it just feels Bush League to me. It does. And look, I must say, it is not against the rules. Mm-hmm. So it's not against any written rule. But it just feels wrong to me. That's all. I'm not the arbiter of every fair thing in football. 
So there probably are going to be some people who won't agree with me, which is fine. That's what makes the world go round. But I don't like it. Yeah, I think I might be one of those people, but I don't I don't love this, but I think I have just a hair more room for it than than you do. Uh, moving on, you know, we talked about the Ravens and they're the number one seed. We have the number one seed in the NFC as well, playing the same game we played. Which of the teams that are going to be playoff teams in the NFC should concern the 49ers the most? I mean, at one point, it looked like Eagles Niners were on a collision course. Not so much a- anymore. Is it the Cowboys, Lions? Maybe it's a Rams team getting hot. H- how do you you look at the team that that should worry the 49ers the most in the NFC? I think similar, exactly similar to what we discussed about the AFC with Buffalo being so scary. And who knows, Buffalo could be the sixth seed in these playoffs. I mean, who, who I, you just don't know what's going to happen in the AFC right now, but I think the most dangerous team to the Niners is the Rams. And it basically is because the Rams staff and the Rams, the Rams coaches uh, know the 49ers so, so well. Not only that, but Matthew Stafford is a big game quarterback. He's won a Super Bowl. Um, they're in the same division. <clears throat> so, and, and it's kind of a shame that this Sunday's game um, isn't going to be taken very seriously by either team because neither team needs it to make the playoffs, you know? So to me, I kind of look at this like the Rams are going to be trouble for the Niners, but the Rams probably are going to have to beat Detroit first. So that's not going to be easy in any way, shape, or form, because I think Detroit's better than the Rams. So I think it's Detroit, Rams, and Cowboys, but – the 49ers have really had their way with the Cowboys going back to the last year in the playoffs and then 42 to 10 uh, when they just got strafed all over the place by um, by the 49ers passing game and Brock Purdy in week five of this year. So I think right now I would say in order, mm. I would say it would be the Rams, the Lions, and the Cowboys in that order are trouble for the, for the Niners. Um, there, there seems to be trouble ahead for David Tepper after he, it, it seems like pretty clear well, evidence should be. Yeah, that he threw a drink on not his own fans, at least, but I mean, does this rise to, to a, a level at which a, a fine is not enough to, to punish David Tepper? I think the absolute minimum that the NFL has to do here is find David Tepper a hundred thousand dollars for this and make him issue a public apology, which he should do anyway. It's an idiotic thing to do. Look, I'm not comparing him yet to Daniel Snyder and his reign in Washington, but with the exception of the sexual peccadilloes that Snyder obviously and the harassment stuff in Washington, um, they have two, uh, two of the major things in common. You know, first of all, they're totally unlikable people. Uh, and secondly, uh, so far anyway, they're big time losers uh, with their team. So, I, I mean, he's got a lot of improving to do if he hopes to be a decent, even a decent NFL owner. But, yeah, the NFL has to come down hard on him for this. Hey, at least they got uh, a couple of wins this season, uh, but no first round pick. Uh, Peter, always a pleasure. Again, uh, Happy New Year. Thanks for doing this. 
Thanks a lot, fellas. Talk soon. See ya. Peter King, Football Morning in America. Yeah, it's not a good look when you're a billionaire and you throw your drink on, on people who are far from billionaires. Yeah. Uh, didn't didn't Patrick Mahomes' wife like spray a bunch of people's champagne? That's kind of different, but kind of the same. I, here's what I was going to say about David Tepper. And yeah, I mean, I wouldn't want him as my pro sports team owner, but this would not be among those reasons why I, I, would, no. I would come to that conclusion. To me, oh, if I, this was the owner of my pro sports team, I'd be oh like, awesome. I, <laughs> oh. This guy cares so much. Now, like if the other stuff, yeah, you know, yeah. the no, like, yeah, yeah pushing yeah. for a little Jimmy Bryce Young, like that, yeah, no, that's bad. Like that. yeah, not ha- you know, all the other, like firing yeah. everybody yeah, all yeah. the time. Like yeah. that part sucks. Uh-huh. This part, I mean, it, it's embarrassing and he's a loser, but that's hilarious. Yeah, you know what this makes me think of is Cal Dubas screaming at the yes, Tampa fans. Of being like, course, oh, you guys. Yeah. No, no, no. And if it was Panthers fans yeah. who he was yeah, throwing the – like, it's very different. Who would have an extreme right, of right. course, to be angry at him. But he was on the road. He's in Jacksonville. He threw his drink at a Jags fan. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I feel like we have to throw You shouldn't in. do yeah, it. Yeah, okay, thank you. I you just feel like somebody do would want us to say that. You shouldn't. But now that we said that, it's pretty funny, right? <laughs> it's pretty funny. I mean, the idea that, yeah, I'm going to get I'm outraged fan, because somebody got some liquid. Oh, my God. If I'm that fan, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not, it's the best day of my life. Of course. Suing David Tepper. Yeah. I don't, I don't know, know if you I can feel do like, that. yeah. I, I, I mean, that the, is assault. Like, he assaulted him. The second words came out of my mouth i got scared of his lawyers i'm not even involved although i think i now am yeah and i'm i just would like to apologize please don't throw a drink on me or, or sick your people on me um to the football of it all yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. I got, like ravens are good man they have the best record mm-hmm. in the nfl and they've they've just beaten down us all, all year to get there but we are in agreement right they're they're good yeah and they boy the dolphins and and cowboys have fraud offs all the time and mm-hmm. fraud <laughs> I mean, that's they're both frauds. No, How can very they good. just? That's very good. I mean, and the the Dolphins won the fraud off. They mm-hmm. played head to head and they won. So yeah. I guess the Cowboys are the bigger frauds, even though they won a fraudulent game against the Lions team yeah. that had them beat. And even if you know you don't count the two point conversion because of the mm-hmm. murkiness of the officiating part, they kick extra point and go to overtime and yeah. maybe the Lions win. Anyways, um, I don't care. Ravens are the opposite of Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs mm. in that I give Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs, despite like All now, the benefit Marcus Valdez-Scantling right. is the new Kadarius Tony, right? Like, because he can't catch. <laughs> None of them can. They have the most drop passes in the yeah. NFL this season. I don't care. Mm-hmm. Like, they're still Patrick Mahomes, like, and they might still have the two seed in the AFC. Like, yeah. it's outrageous. <laughs> they're going to go on the road at some point, but it's not going to be the first round. And like, maybe not. Like, maybe the, the Ravens go out before... Like, maybe they, again, maybe. don't play a road game in the AFC. I view the Ravens opposite. Lamar Jackson has one playoff victory. Mm-hmm. You got to show it to me because Peter's right. They've had the one seed before. They've thrown up all over themselves. The numbers are so depressed. Not just the wins and losses for Lamar Jackson. He's deserving the MVP yep. award. It's been great, great, great. You got to show it to me in the playoffs before I, I believe in you for one second. And I don't. I think that I think that's fair. I'm not quite as doubtful, I guess, is the the way I'd put it. But I think that's all fair. And I don't mean to completely throw or slide past your NFL point here because it was a great one. But I need something on the record from you today before we leave the air today. What? As a show, where are we at on Happy New Year's after today? 
No, today's the last day. Today's the last day. I agree. I just wanted to make sure. I don't want to be here on Friday and you're like, Happy New Year. It's the 7th or whatever. No, 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 so no. I just wanted that on record before we left no, today. This is our first show after yeah. New Year. Yeah, of course. Okay. Okay. Just wanted to make sure. Good. Good. Shake. Verbal handshake. All right. And we mimed it even. <laughs> All right. We'll be back tomorrow. This has been the Fan Morning Show. Bad Anna's Brian Gunning. Good, Good morning. morning. Good morning.